1: You know, Jacob's desire was to ignore the right of the firstborn. And that was all kind of saying to Jacob, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I violated the right of the firstborn Esau by taking his birthright. I stepped in front. I cut in front of the Israelis. Never cut in front of lines, do they, Irene? (laughs) I cut in front of line of Esau. And God has made me now feel how wrong I was. But for Jacob, he's kind of in a state of shock. And Jacob, he, he just didn't expect all this. He didn't expect this kind of wickedness from his relative in the home of his relatives. Ooh, another sting. That was intended. That sting was for you. <laughs> you, know, Jacob. That was intended for you to see what you did to your relative in the home of your relatives, your home. Oh, now Laban. He's such a genius, Laban. He's got an idea. Oh, Laban's a genius for coming up for this solution. And Laban reveals his ingenious solution when he tells him, verse 27, don't worry, I'm a genius, I got a great idea. Fulfill her week. And we'll give thee this also for the service which thou also serve with me yet seven other years. So Laban is saying, Jacob, I really feel for you, old pal, old buddy. And I've come up with this ingenious plan to honor the custom of our country, not violate the right of the firstborn, and yet, and give you Rachel to marry. Just work another seven years for Rachel. I'm really a genius, don't you think? So this is easy. Now, Jacob, of course, he's very trusting now, you know. <laughs> what he got up your sleeve now? Okay, here's a question. How much longer did Jacob have to wait until he got Rachel to be his wife? Seven days. That's right. Most people say that Jacob had to wait seven years longer to get Rachel, but that's not correct. Because after Laban has shown himself to be not trustworthy, Jacob never would have waited another seven years to get Rachel. After what Laban did to him, Laban lost his credit with Jacob. You know, Jacob had tried the work first, receive later, And now Jacob would only agree to the receive first and work later, see? And so in the first arrangement with with Laban, Jacob agreed for it to be payment first and then comes the goods. But now Jacob would only accept to get the goods first and I'll pay later. So in verse seven, when Jacob said to Laban, fulfill her week and we'll give this also, there was a double meaning in what he said. It was a double meaning. See, the feast lasted seven days or one literal week. But Jacob had to work seven more years or a week of years. So when Laban said, fulfill her week, this is more of the great genius Laban with his double meanings now. When Laban said, fulfill her week, he was referring to both the seven days of feast for Rachel and the seven years of labor payment for Rachel. But Laban, so Laban saying to Jacob, Jacob, don't get hot under the collar. Just have another party for another seven days and then you'll get Rachel. So how do we know that that's true? How do we know he got Rachel first after seven more days and then he worked off the debt in seven years afterward? You look carefully at the sequence. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Jacob did so and fulfilled her week and he gave him Rachel his life. See, that's the week of the seven days feast. Now look at verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel. He loved Rachel more than Relia, and served him yet seven other years. See, there's sequence there. See, verse 28. He did so, fulfilled her week gave him Rachel. That's the seven days. Verse 30, he went in also unto Rachel, served him seven years. Immediately, he went in also unto Rachel, and then he served with him seven other years. Now, we see in verse 29, Laban gives to Rachel, his daughter, Rachel's daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. Same thing like Zilpah. So just as Laban gave to Leah Zilpa, we see Laban here giving to Rachel another one of his daughters with his concubines, Bilhah. And Bilhah means timid, timid, which is the perfect personality for Rachel. She comes on real strong, Rachel. A little bit of Rachel is enough. You know, she comes, you know, a little bit will do you. <laughs> like brill cream. Anyway, but Rachel comes on so strong that, you know, she crushes people around her. So she kind of needs this friend Bilhah as the timid one. Did Jacob love or hate Leah? It's a question. Did, she, did he love or hate? He hated, okay. Did Jacob have any love at all for Leah, would you say? Was there an ounce of love, a tiny amount of love? It just says he loved Rachel more. Well, that's the point. See, in verse 30, it says he went in also unto Rachel. He loved also Rachel more than Leah. So yes, he loved Rachel a little bit, some little tiny infinitesimal amount. More, I mean, relative to Rachel, he hated her. He hated Leah, but he had some love because he loved her more. Anyway, so now we see the, the, this is a real problem this, the, as, God, as far as God is concerned. And God has a response to this problem in verse 31 where it says, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now we see how God, this is very interesting, because in this verse, we see that God's been monitoring. He's been very close. You know, the TV cameras have been running. You know, (laughs) he's been sitting in front of the terminal God has and is watching what's happening in the home. God is closely monitoring what is happening in his home, in Jacob's home. God closely monitors what happens in our homes. God monitors closely love in the heart. God monitors closely words from the mouth and we see in those words in verse 31 the Lord saw that's an amazing statement the Lord the Lord saw that Leah was hated that's amazing it's amazing because it shows how much God cares this home was a train wreck this home was a train wreck of prejudice of envy of jealousy and hatred No one should have to to live in a home like that. You know, it's amazing that the children that were born didn't protest and say, this is child abuse to live in this home. (laughs) It was a terrible place. It was a train wreck, but God cared. God cared, and that's amazing to see these first, the Lord saw, Leah was hated. It's amazing that God did not vomit looking at this home and walk away disgusted by it all, but he didn't because God cared about this home And it's amazing to see that God does not vomit when he looks at our lives and walk away in disgust. But he doesn't because God cares. Why? God so cared that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he responded by opening her womb. That's funny, I thought it was all about OBGYNs. But anyway, he opened her womb. And he blessed, the Lord blessed the one that was hated by making her fruitful. You know, you've got to keep in mind, who is this who's watching this? This is Jehovah Jesus. And he, Jehovah Jesus, is watching someone who is being hated without a cause. Well, maybe there's some cause, but anyway. She's hated, and a special compassion goes out for the hated one. A special compassion goes out for Leah. Why? He identifies with her. Why? Because of Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He looks at Leah and he says, I'll be there, I'll do that. I identify with you. And so he does this wonderful thing. He opens up her womb. Now Jacob, old boy, he's about 84 years old right now. And you think, 84 years old, he's still having children? Well, if Ed Dickinson can have, no, but (laughs) 80. Anyway, but he's 84 years old. But don't think of that as, as really old because that's more or less about half the lifetime of a person at this time here. So he's like 40, about the age of my son. I should encourage him. All right, so God recompenses Leah for the lack of her husband's love. He recompenses Leah for the lack of her husband's affections. And that's amazing to see how God monitors and sees what's happening in Jacob's home, but just doesn't just see it, he intervenes. He does something. He does something. And he recompenses Leah for being hated. See, verse 31 is very interesting, you know, this this, this idea of God saw, and then he acted, opened her womb. He's monitoring, he's intervening. It's why it's so important for us to see is because it kind of shows how life happens. You know, life doesn't happen as Hollywood movies depict them or write them, which is one of the reasons I don't watch the movies, because verse 31 shows how God monitors and intervenes, and that's how life happens. See, this monitoring and intervening, we see in verse 31, it's what Solomon, King Solomon meant when he said in Ecclesiastes 7.14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God also hath set one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. See, that phrase God also has set one over against the other. It means that God looks at our prosperity and says, too much prosperity for this boy, that's no good, so I have to bring some adversity to keep him from trusting in the prosperity. That means that God looks at the adversity like he did here in Leah and says, too much adversity for this girl, that's no good, so I'll bring some prosperity, that's Leah, to keep her from being discouraged. See, what we see God has here, he's like a cook, a master chef. He's constantly monitoring and tasting the pot and see what it needs to be added just to make it perfect. You know, it's the prayer of Agar in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. He said, two things have I required of thee before I die. It says what they are. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. See, he prayed that God would not give him poverty or riches. He didn't want riches because of the danger of saying, I have everything, so who's God that I need him? And he didn't want poverty because of the danger of saying, I need to resort to stealing because I don't have anything. And this process of God the great chef tasting the pot, seen in verse 31, means from Ecclesiastes 7.14, that as far as us being able to predict what's going to happen next to us, to us in life, to the end that man should find nothing after him. See, we can't know what's going to happen to us next because God's the great chef and he's tasting the pot of our lives and he's deciding, mm, I need a little, little salt of adversity here is needed to you know, come into our lives. And we had no idea that was coming, where'd that come from? to the end that man should find nothing after him. Or God, the great chef, he tastes it and he says, you know, I need a little sugar of prosperity here is needed. Some prosperity comes into our lives. We had no idea where that came from. To the end, should find nothing after him. So the work of God, the great chef, that we see in verse 31 of tasting the pot when the Lord saw that Leah was hated and then deciding to add to the pot, he opened her womb. It teaches us what it says in Ecclesiastes 6.12, Ecclesiastes 6.12, who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Another place, Ecclesiastes 10.14, Fool is full of words, a man cannot tell what shall be, what shall be after him. Who can tell him? See, this leads us to the question, if, if all this is happening, then where's our stability in life? Where do we find stability? There's only one stability in life, that's God. You know, what's our, well, how do we predict what life's going to happen? There's only one prediction in life, God. See, that reminds me of one of the exercises at the Grossmont uh, orientation meeting, hospital meeting. I told you. At the end, also at the end, they wanted people to think about how to care for dying people. And so they told the story, kind of a different story, but anyway, it, it, the story was, suppose there is a report that has just come in the news that this large meteor, larger than the Earth, is heading right for the Earth. It's going to destroy all life as we know it. But they discovered another planet like the Earth, and there's this spaceship called the Ark, and you can go on it, and you can bring whatever you want on it So write down, you had to write it down again, write down what you want to bring on the escape spaceship, the Ark, to go to the new planet. So I took my paper out, and and I thought about Costco chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) But then, (laughs) more serious side took over. And I thought about the story of Marcellus. I may have told you this before, but there was this very rich Roman nobleman who had a very rebellious son and a very faithful servant named Marcellus. And the rich Roman was coming to the end of his life, and so he decided to make his will, and he decided to give everything he had to his faithful servant, Marcellus. But he felt giving his son nothing was not right, so he he felt guilty over that. So he decided to give his son one wish. So he calls his son in, he tells him, look, you've been rebellious, I'm not gonna give you anything, I'm gonna give everything to Marcellus. But, you know, I'm just going to give you one wish at the end here. He asks his son, what do you want for your one wish? And the son says, I want Marcellus. (laughs) Because if I have Marcellus, I have everything. That's what I wrote down. I wrote down, I want the Lord Jesus Christ. If I have him, I have everything. If I have to leave the earth, go to another planet, all I need is him. So we see in verse 31 how God, this great chef, he's tasting the pots, he's monitoring Leah's life, he monitors our lives. So we see in verse 31, he's the great chef, sees what's needed, he intervenes in Leah's life, he intervenes in our life. See in verse 31 how, how all Leah could depend on in life was the love and faithfulness of God. That's all we can depend on in life. Now because God opened Leah's womb, we read in verse 32 that she conceived to bear a son, called his name Reuben. She said, Surely the Lord had looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband loved me. See, Leah has a son, she calls his name Reuben. Reuben, which means, Behold a son, or see a son. See, that, that's kind of a heartbreak for us when we read this about Leah, because you know she's holding up her son. I mean, poor Leah. You know, it kind of draws your heart out, you know, love the dog. You know, to, to have compassion. Poor Leah. She's so hated by her husband who she wants so much for him to just love her that she has a son and she see a son, you know, with this name, see a son. She can see her saying to her husband, see a son, I've given you a son, see a son. Look, Jacob, see the son. Look, Zilpah, see the son. Look, everyone, see the son. I'm really a good person. I'm really to be loved, not hated. Uh, See the son I produced? That's the background with Reuben. Then Leah said something amazing in verse 32 when she says, surely the Lord had looked upon my affliction. That's amazing for us because he asked the question, when she says, surely the Lord looked on my affliction, you know, surely Jehovah looked on my affliction. You would say, what is this? Leah talking about Jehovah? Leah talking about Jehovah Jesus? What is this? Where did she learn about Jehovah that she should talk about him? You know, did Leah go to a CEF good news club? You know, I mean, did she go to vacation Bible school when she was a little girl? (laughs) How did she learn about Jehovah? Only one source. Only one source she could have found out about Jehovah, Mr. Jacob. Jacob taught about Jehovah. Jacob spoke about Jehovah. Leah found out about Jehovah From Jacob. When Jacob came into the family, Jacob spoke about Jehovah, and that's how Leah learned about Jehovah, and that's why we see Leah giving praise to Jehovah in verse 32. That's a challenge for us. How much are we like Jacob telling people around us about God? How much are people learning about God from what we say? You know, not by our nice works. Your nice works, you don't talk, you're a Mormon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Leah, learned about God from Jacob. She said, surely the Lord hath looked on my affliction. What affliction? Well, there was a lot of affliction. She was deceived by her father. She wasn't loved by her husband. Her sister hated her, but she says she had these, Leah had these beautiful qualities of her heart. What Leah lacked in outward appearance, you know, her eyes didn't look so good, but her heart looked beautiful. She had an inward beauty, her love for God, and God esteemed that in Leah. See, what Leah was doing in verse 32 is described by Solomon, King Solomon, Proverbs 3, 6, Proverbs 3, 6. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. When it says direct, it's the word yashar. Yashar means to straighten. Like, for example, in Isaiah 45, 2, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. That's yashar. See? Not that these acts of solemn worship, you know, or great great crisis only but in all thy ways. Then God, when you do that, God says, I'll straighten out your path. He shall yashar thy paths. Why do we do that? Because of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah ten twenty three. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his ways. Man directing his way will go crooked. God directing his way will go yashar. It'll be straight. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And what does that mean? What does that mean, in all thy ways acknowledge him? It means, set the Lord always before you. Like David said in Psalm sixteen eight. Psalm sixteen eight. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I should not be moved. Right in front of him, David said, I put him right in front of me. He's always in my view. Said he's always in my view. I consider him, the Lord, as present with me all the time. That would have means to acknowledge him in all the ways. I observe every step that I take. I don't take a step without his advice. That's what it means. I'm constantly asking God for wisdom, knowing what a a liberal giver he is when it comes to wisdom. That's what it means. I'm always consulting his word for direction. I'm always thinking of the Bible for direction. I'm making the Bible my counselor. I'm gonna make the Bible my counselor, You know, when I feel like I gotta go call somebody, I'm gonna look, think of the Bible, call the Bible. That's what David said in Psalm 119, 24. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselor, counselors. See, that means to have our goal in our life, to have the word of God, our delight, and to be our counselors. You can't do that in a home that's been invaded by the television. You can't. Why? I know the way of man's not in me. It's not in me to direct my steps. I need God. That's what it means to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When things go wrong, submit to God. When things go well, give God the glory. Constantly acknowledging him, constantly acknowledging him, constantly acknowledging that everything we have comes from him. And it means be still. Be still, Psalm 46.10, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. You don't have to worry about that. I'll be exalted in the earth. But you, be still. Know that I am God. You cannot know without being still. When Moses, the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 13, Exodus 14, 13 says, Moses said unto the people, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of God. We cannot see without standing still. You cannot see the salvation of God without standing still. Two very important rules for life. Be still and know. Be still and know. And see we need to know the Lord Jesus is God. we cannot know that unless we be still and know that He is God. We need to see the salvation of God. We cannot see it. It happens. We don't see it unless we be still and see the salvation of God. And then at to finish in verse the end of verse 32, she says, "Now therefore, will my husband love me." Oh, it's sad. And you know, Leah, not Rachel, seems to really be the one that loved Jacob. Rachel loved herself. But Leah loved Jacob, and he just wanted his love in return. You know, Leah had in her eye this quiet but vehement affection for Jacob. Jacob didn't know what he had. You know, the Lord loves us. The world doesn't love us. You know, John fifteen nineteen, the fifteen nineteen, the Lord said, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Stop trying to love the world that hates you, Jacob. And love the Lord who loves you, Jacob. Stop trying to love Rachel. Well, I shouldn't put it that way, but anyway, she's married to her, what can you say? Anyway, you piece the puzzle together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these pictures that you've recorded for us here in Genesis 29. So many things, Lord. We pray that the pictures that you'd have for each one of us, you would just impress them upon our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scannabodies Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scannabodies has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, Scannabodies.com. That's scantibodies.com.